Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Engineering Student Experience Podcast. I'm Paul Nissenson from the Mechanical Engineering Department at Cal Poly Pomona. After graduation, many engineering students will enter the workforce as an employee for a company. Some companies are well established and have tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of employees. Companies like Boeing, Siemens, and Raytheon come to mind. Many other companies are quite small and may have less than a dozen employees. It's fairly common for engineers to work at several companies throughout their careers as they chase promotion opportunities, try to increase their income, perhaps they want a corporate culture that better suits their personality and lifestyle, and, well, there are many other reasons. But where did all these companies come from? Most companies start out fairly small and over time may grow to be larger. They may stay small or they may fail. In order for the company to survive, the founders of that company have to wear many, many hats. Not only do the founders have to develop a product or service that customers are interested in, but they also have to handle the company's finances, including raising money from individuals, banks, and other entities. They have to constantly find new potential customers and collaborators, they have to hire employees, and so on. Well, joining me today to discuss what it's like to start a company is Isabel Gutierrez, who is the founder and CEO of Vistendo. Isabel describes Vistendo as a company dedicated to ending the suffering related to untreated brain dysfunctions, including brain injuries and mental health disorders. The technology developed by Vistendo helps to detect concussions and monitors those who are injured to prevent serious injury and long-term suffering. Isabel started her company while still pursuing a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at Cal Poly Pomona, which she ultimately obtained in 2019. Although starting a business has the potential to be very rewarding, both personally and financially, most engineering programs don't prepare students to start their own business. And as you'll hear in a few minutes, Isabel had to learn about many areas that were completely unrelated to her college coursework. During the interview, Isabel describes what it was like to go from just having an idea for a product as a college student to eventually forming a company and growing it over the past few years. We also talk about the time demands required to run a startup company, the importance of people skills in the workplace, and for finding investors and partners. We talk about the traits of successful leaders and many other topics. Now, someone who starts a company is taking a significant risk. That person may spend years pouring their blood, sweat, and tears into trying to grow their company, only to see it fail in the end. Financially, that person would have been much better off taking a job at an established company and earning a steady income. But just because the company failed doesn't mean the person who attempted the company is a failure. As Isabel discusses toward the end of the interview, she has learned a lot about a wide range of fields and has developed important skills that will benefit her for the rest of her life. It takes a certain pioneering spirit to start a company, and it's certainly not for everyone. Personally, I much prefer the stability of my government job. As an employee of the state of California, I'm not going to become super rich, but I'll make enough to be comfortable and I should have a decent pension in about 20 years or so. And it's fairly safe to assume that my employer will still be around uh, until the day I retire one day. 
So even though I'm not brave enough to start a company, I'm really glad there are people out there like Isabel who are taking that risk. They push society forward, which ultimately benefits us all. And now, let's hear from Isabel Gutierrez. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, well, I am here with Isabel Gutierrez, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Vistendo. And we're going to talk a lot about your company um, in just a little bit. She's also a graduate of our very own Cal Poly Pomona Mechanical Engineering Program, 2019? 2019, yeah. 2019. Um, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy day <laughs> to uh, come down here to Cal Poly Pomona and have this conversation. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Well, I've actually been really looking forward to today's conversation because it's about a topic that I really know nothing about, but you are now an expert in. And the main topic that we're going to talk about today is really what it's like to start your own company. Before we get into that, uh, I think it'd be really helpful for the listener to get a little bit of background about yourself. So when do you remember first getting interested in engineering and you know, what, what was college like for you? And do you remember when you started thinking that you are going to uh, or that you'd be interested in creating your own company, which most people never do? <laughs> yeah, so I grew up, uh, my dad's background um, is in physics um, and optical engineering. So I always grew up going to his laboratories and kind of being in there. And I remember getting dressed up and playing with all the equipment there that we were allowed to was always into Legos and just, I was just constantly wanting to build something. And I think that's kind of where my first kind of clue was that I would go into engineering. Then after that, I just kind of continued to grow on that. My parents always encouraged me to, if you don't have it, just build it. So I was always outside building swings that would then break a little days after. But, and then in high school, I kind of started to realize that I really, just kind of continue to enjoy building something and then my you know my dad mentioned engineering and I was like oh yeah that sounds perfect and I remember actually coming to Cal Poly Pomona uh, for like one of those tours uh, that you can do and that's kind of where I fell in love with really mechanical engineering as itself and also the school um, because of that just learn by doing philosophy that was like literally what I had done my entire childhood so here it was like at a bigger scale and I was like, wow, this is all the stuff I could do with engineering. So that's kind of what led me to the engineering path. So your dad didn't try to get you to go to the physics path? No, uh, he got his <laughs> master's in optical engineering. So he was also in a little bit of the engineering and okay. no, he didn't try to luckily. <laughs> uh, when did you start thinking that I would be interested in starting a company? What, what inspired that? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I always had a lot of drawings of that I was going to start a car company, I remember, but that was quickly <laughs> forgotten or just never, I never really took it that seriously. Um, in high school, I was really, really shy, um, so I didn't get involved pretty much with anything other than uh, I played soccer growing up, so I was on the soccer team there. Um, so when I came to college, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do the complete 180 I'm going to push myself to not be shy and join everything I could. Um, so I got really involved throughout my college years. And that kind of 
I remember my third year, I was finishing up my third year and I was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do next um, in terms of getting involved or something like that. I, I was, at that time I was president of ASME. I was chair of the ASME engineering festival that the national organization puts on. Um, I was part of the robotics rally. So I was, I was doing a ton of things um, and I was trying to figure out what next. At the time I was also working at the gym um, so I was working as a first responder and I realized that I really loved kind of that responding and, and that kind of medical small training that I had participated in. Um, so I was kind of figuring out like how could I combine these things or am I going to leave those things behind and just focus purely on engineering. And then uh, I remember I was kind of on the field one of my shifts and I was like no like there's really nothing technology wise to help me when I have to figure out what's wrong with something uh, with someone and I was trying to figure out like okay why is there nothing there because since I had been doing all my engineering classes I was like I know there's technology out there in every single other kind of realm um you know the aerospace, all that, those are huge, but why is there not really anything here for medical? Um, it's always just kind of tools to help the person, but never really that advanced um, technology-wise. So that's kind of when I started to think, you know, if there's nothing out there, why shouldn't I just try to do it? <laughs> <laughs> when you started, okay, so now you have an idea that you want to develop some technology that will help uh, at that time help athletes more of like the diagnostic of what's wrong with them? Yeah, so it started out kind of being if we could some make some sort of technology to help just the average person figure out what's wrong with either them or someone else. Um, because it's, it's much simpler if you're a doctor and you have all that training. Um, but it's not always apparent, especially if everything's internal, um, when someone needs to go to the emergency room or when they're you know, just need to see the doctor or if they're completely fine um, and they don't need anything. Okay, so now you have a, an idea for starting a company. There's probably a billion and one little details that you need to deal with, uh, things like, you know, financing the company. How's your company gonna be structured? You have to hire personnel. There's probably all these legal issues that you have to deal yeah. with. So at that time, um, in your roughly your third year of college, did you have any idea about how to, first of all, do you have any idea that these details were things you had to be concerned about? And then if so, how to address them? And then if you didn't know everything at that point, uh, who did you turn to for, for help? Yeah, so I knew zero um, percent of anything to start a company. Um, and we don't teach you uh, typically in an engineering program how to start your own business. No, and I think it's always, I mean, it's just not, the typical thing you think of, it's typically like, let me just find a company that's doing something similar to that and let me help them, give them my ideas. I was very fortunate. My dad actually started a company when I was still in high school. Um, so he had quite a bit of experience um, starting a company. So when I first started thinking, maybe I wanna go out on my own, I obviously turned to him first, told him what I was thinking of, and it's he since he can't, kind of had that experience with the startup world, 
um, for him, it's about understanding whether this is an idea that actually has merit and ground and can actually get somewhere or, you know, how to let me down easy and be like, that's not <laughs> something that can happen. <laughs> um, I always say he's my toughest critic, but he really teaches me a lot. So I turned to him, kind of told him what I was thinking. And he actually really understood it um, because I st- the more I talked to him, the more my idea kind of clarified into what it actually became when I actually founded the company. In high school, my sister suffered a concussion um, playing soccer. I was actually there on the sidelines when it happened. And, you know, she got hit on the back of the head, um, right, right where the neck and the head uh, meet. She went down for like 30 seconds, got up, and we were all like, okay, she's good. Like, oof, all right. And it took us quite a bit of time to figure out she actually was suffering from a pretty bad concussion. Um, you know, she was complaining of headaches and stuff like that. But, you know, our typical response is, yeah, of course, you got nailed in the head. That's what's going to happen. Like, your head is obviously going to hurt. Um, so it wasn't until there was like a, a test or SAT that she took that she scored um, like very close to zero, which mm. had you just had like very, like had you not even studied, you still would have gotten higher. Um, and she was really confused about it. So we, we ended up finally taking her to the doctor and that's when they told us. So my dad had that experience. And so he understood personally the importance of what I wanted to, to figure out. And he was agreeing with the same thing. And that's when he introduced me to his business partner. And he's like, if you can convince him, then you have something here. Um, so I started to talk to him about it. And, you know, he also understood what I was trying to do and really connected with it. And so that's when I decided, you know what, this is some, I have something here, so I'm going to start this. When I first started out, I will say I was really cocky. I was like, how hard can it be? It can't be that hard. Um, (laughs) Quickly figured out in a couple months that it was insanely hard um, because I was entering into the medical world that I knew nothing about. That was kind of my first step, um, even before actually going into the more of the legal and, and figuring out how to start this business is understanding a little bit of this world that I knew nothing about and understanding if this technology was something that could actually help or was there something out there that I was missing. Um, so I actually read a ton of papers. I would read a couple a day about anything and everything I could about concussions and you know, how to detect them and what technology was out there, what studies were being done. Um, And then I would accumulate all the people that wrote these articles and I would reach out to them. Just cold emailing, cold calling, um, hoping to get back responses. Um, Little by little, I got a couple responses and had conversations uh, with these individuals and um, really experts in their field and, and understanding firsthand what they were dealing with. You know, how do these concussions come about? what's so hard about diagnosing them and could my idea help them um, and help these patients. So it was a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of talking to people that were experts really. And then I could start to think about the legal and, and the business and the financial side of, of this um, business. Um, and, and these were all like peer reviewed journal articles that you're reading? Yeah, basically okay. researchers uh, not, not just some like blogger. No, 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 no. So these, yeah, 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 no, these were the <laughs> the peer reviewed and um, research doctors that were essentially announcing 
the results of their studies um, that I would read. I mean, at first I could understand like nothing of it. And so I had to do, I remember the, f the first thing I did is I picked up all the MCAT books um, because, I mean, I didn't take any chemistry or biology. I think I took one because uh, that's what's required for the ME uh, degree. So I picked up all of those and started reading them and studying like I was studying for the MCAT just to understand the background um, because, you know, doctors don't talk in a way that, um, I mean, these were researchers, so they were talking about stuff that was very common knowledge to them. And I had to kind of beef up my medical knowledge in order to understand what they were telling me. Uh, which is very difficult at first. <laughs> yeah, oh, especially yeah, if you haven't had the background in, like, you haven't even taken the basic courses. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, and, and for the listener out there, MCAT is a test that you take if you want to go to medical school. Yeah. So, um, wow, so maybe you could have entered medical school. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was a period of time where I thought about it. <laughs> but I like the engineering side a little too much for that. <laughs> so you have an idea, you think it has a shot, but for any new business, you need to have money, uh, some initial capital, probably capital as you go along, as, as you're beginning out, uh, as you're starting out. So did you turn to, um, how did you attract investors? Did you have to make like a lot of business pitches to people? Did you have to go to a bank to try to get a loan? Did you rely on family members? Yeah, so I started all of this in January 2018. I spent up until I think like August, just researching, figuring out, talking with doctors. Um, and then like August to like October, really going more into the, you know, the technology side of what we can create, creating a very, very rough prototype and then doing all the legal stuff. The legal stuff is, I would say the simplest just because it's registering your name of your company you know, figuring out what, what in the world that is, just figuring out what type of corporation you're going to do, where you're going to establish it, setting up a bank, bank account, and that's pretty much it. Um, so I read a little bit of how to do that. Um, I was able to ask my dad, and at that point, I had convinced him and his business partner to join me too um, with some of their time, which helped a lot. And then um, they, they sat me down and said, as CEO, your main priority is, is to get money because there is no company without money, which was illuminating for me because I was really excited about, you know, the engineering side and the medical side. And I was like, oh, OK, great. You thought <laughs> you were going to be working in some lab somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Connecting yeah. Connecting things together. Yeah, yeah. And I still did a lot of that. But um, the main priority for me was to figure out how to get money to actually get this off the ground. So I started talking to literally anyone that I could think of that could give me like any amount of money. Um, so I talked to professors, I talked to, you know, family friends, I talked to like literally anyone that I think could give me just a little bit of spare change. I, and I would go with my little really rough prototype. Um, looking back, I have no idea how I got money for it, but. <laughs> We've come a long way. What, what, um, what was the prototype of? Um, so we w had created a device that would be used by athletes right on the field to detect concussions. Um, so it was about a 30-second test, essentially 
mimicking kind of like a virtual reality headset. That's kind of what it looked like, like a very rough version. It was huge, I remember it, and like had to be connected to this like gigantic uh, laptop. And so that's essentially was our core idea is to be able to create a concussion detection device that could be used right on the field, mm. um, regardless of the weather and regardless of your medical training or not. So that's what the idea that I pitched I, my days literally became, I was still going to school at the time. So I was still doing school while writing all these pitches, while trying to um, continue the production of this prototype and learning all the medical stuff. So it was a very interesting time. Um, and then slowly by slowly, I got a, I got a bit of money um, from a couple individuals that could spare it. And as a startup, you essentially stretch this money as far as you can to make as much as you can with it um, and then go on to the next rep. At that point, we started to look at grants um, from the government um, because they were interested, very, very interested in this, in this type of work um, for their military personnel. And a couple months after from the initial small amount of, I think it was like 50K that I raised. Um, from that, we were able to create a much better prototype um, that we then wrote a proposal for to the government, and that's when we were awarded a 250k grant um, to continue our work in this. And that really kind of helped us launch into kind of going from very, very tiny startup to a little bit bigger. Um, <laughs> with that money, we were able to finally get our first employee to work with us. So we went from like no one to just like one or two which was at that time just an enormous relief for me just because I could kind of offload a little bit of the stuff I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> How many employees do you currently have right now? So right now uh, we are about 10 to 13. Okay. How many of those are engineers? Engineers we have, I would say, about uh, five. Are they mostly mechanical or are they you no have software so we are or? mostly software um, and electrical That's okay. and medical engineering at this point in time we're recording in july of 2022 how much has vistendo uh, grown to, to be and you know what kind of products and services does it now uh, offer yeah so we've we've grown quite a bit since uh we first started. Um, it's just been three or four years. Yeah, no, we've we've grown quite a bit. It's crazy to think how little it was, um, but I mean, we still have ways to go. Um, but we've grown quite a bit. We went from zero to about ten, so we're a bigger company than we were at this point. Um, we've raised about three hundred sixty k and have a revenue up to date of about two million. So wow. we've grown quite a bit, which is our devices, we've gone through so many iterations of the same thing. Our products and services have qu changed quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's really a learning curve um, because a big part of doing a startup, especially when you have something like a product to consumers is you have to figure out what they actually want. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things because you can think it's great, but if you can't sell it, then it doesn't matter how great you think that is. So we've gone through a lot of iterations, but we essentially have a device um, that detects if someone's suffering from a concussion 
and then we have a mobile app that collects um, information on how that person is feeling. So we kind of want to um, have a whole kind of encompass um, everything that a person is going through, not only physically through physical symptoms that our device can capture, but also emotionally and mentally what they're outputting as well, because um, that's just as important, um, especially for concussions. And also, you know, we're, we're really focused now on concussions and concussions that, you know, mental illnesses that are caused by these concussions. So that's primarily what we're focused on. And we're developing this technology for military service members um, and also um, athletes as well. I was going to say, you know, the last 10 years, especially in the NFL, uh, has been a huge focus on concussions, uh, way more than when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that I don't know what technology they use or if any at all <laughs> when they do those um, concussion checks on the field, but that just seems like it has enormous potential. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the the big standard for, especially for professional sports, is they'll have neurologists and, and physicians and all sorts of, of medical personnel out there. So they're the ones um, in charge of, of diagnosing this concussion. But the very, I would say, interesting but also bad thing about concussions is that there's no gold standard. Hmm. Um, so unlike every other injury out there, there's not something that's if, if there's not a test out there that if you fail, it's 100% sure that you have a concussion. Concussions can appear with so many different symptoms um, for a specific person. And also it, it doesn't super matter on the velocity of that hit that um, you could or could not have a concussion. So there's so many things at play um, specifically with concussions um, that it makes it one of the hardest things to detect um, for every individual. Well, and I guess like what you were just saying, the NFL, I mean, has millions and millions of dollars to hire some of the best um, or, you know, employ some of the best you know, neurologists or doctors. But maybe a high school football game, they're not going to have access to the same level of quality of care. So, yeah, having any kind of device that can help people determine whether or not a concussion has taken place um, could help out. Yeah, the vast majority of cases where a concussion might happen, which exactly, is yeah. high school sports or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, concussions are also very serious, um, especially for, for young um, developing bodies. Um, there's something called a second impact syndrome. Uh, essentially, if someone suffers from a concussion and they have no idea and they get hit again before the brain has a chance to recover, it can have very severe um, repercussions for that person that can, that can last them a lifetime. So. Yeah, for, for kids especially that are, you know, out there just having fun most of the time. Some of them are thinking professionally. Um, for the majority, it's just about having fun and getting that exercise. Something as serious as a concussion can really have lifelong effects that they really shouldn't be suffering from. Hmm. So you're mentioning that your company has a ways to go uh, into the future. Is there anything you can share with me about where you envision the company to be in, let's say, five or ten years? Yeah, so I mean, my main goal for the company is, is really for everyone out there, um, for every single family um, to have one of our devices at home. And if any hit happens to the head, whether your, your toddler falls down or your 10-year-old kid suffers a hit from a baseball to the head, that parents are able to really just use their device 30 seconds and kind of figure out what their kid needs. Um, you know, there's so many people that are uninsured out there that are spending millions 
every single time they have to go to the hospital. And even if you do have insurance, you're still spending thousands. Um, so just having that security of being able to figure out if your kid's okay, and if they're not, you can go get them the help they need and no kid has to really suffer silently, especially. So if you, you have a, you said about 10, 13 employees right now. So if you took me on a tour of your offices in Arcadia, what would I see these uh, employees doing? What, what would the engineers be doing um, on, a given, on a given day? Yeah, so actually a lot of our, the people that work at Vicendo are all remote. Um, so our office is very tiny still. Um, we don't have that big of an office. Um, we have people working for us all the way in India to Boston, um, to many different places. So yeah, the engineers that we uh, primarily have are gonna be software engineers. Um, so you'll see them just working endlessly on long lines of code um, on our, for, for our devices and, and our technology. And, um, but if you were to walk into our office, uh, we have a lot of, I would say, machines. So we, we, we love 3D printers. Um, I, have a lot, I have a big background in 3D printers, especially. So I've, I've always been a big fan of them. So we have a lot of 3D printers. Uh, we have a whole bunch of environmental testing machines as well uh, for thermal testing and yeah, it's, it's really a workshop. So, I mean, we still create our devices in-house. Um, we do work with production houses for certain parts, um, but we do assemble in-house. So we have kind of a whole assembly line set up too. <laughs> One of the traits that every engineering program um, really hopes to instill in in the graduates of that program is uh, lifelong learning, and uh, even before you even before you got uh, out of uh, the mechanical engineering program, you're already going into you know medical papers, you know a field that you're com you're completely uh, we didn't prepare you for, mm -hmm. um, and and you were able to uh, not only read the papers, but feel confident enough that you understood them well enough to then go follow up with the, the authors. What I'm wondering is what other skills besides the business and the law and the medical, as you've already mentioned, what other skills have you picked up along the way? Um, maybe skills that you could never have anticipated getting into. So, so for example, if you, you have this um, app and you want to have a really good, or good user experience, so I don't know if that would go into the realm of psychology, um, but uh, what other kinds of skills have you had to pick up along the way as you've grown your company? Yeah, I mean, I always said starting a company is like if you were to condense a year of college into like a day or two. Um, <laughs> it's so fast paced. But I mean, there's when I first started out, I think being a little bit naive kind of helped me because I didn't realize how hard it actually is. Um, so having that kind of, no, I mean, let's just go for it, really helped. <laughs> and I actually think Cal Poly Pomona actually really helped me too, because it was all learned by doing. So I was used to doing. So when I first started the company, I was just like, why not? Like, let, let me just do this. I mean, I'm already doing it in college. Like, let me just do something else a little bit outside. You know, how hard can it be? And then along the way, it was really, I think one of the big skills is just kind of people skills. I think that's one of the most important things, regardless of what industry you enter, is really building those connections. Um, because you never know 
you know, where they can pop out later on or be helpful to you. And I always thought, you know, if you're always five connections away from the person you really want to talk to. Um, and if you can build so many connections and you can pretty much network your way into meeting, you know, that one person that you really want to meet um, in your life. So I think people skills was the big thing. And then I think a lot of financial understanding as well. You know, in the engineering world, I mean, it helps in college where you you don't have a lot of money. So therefore, every project you make, you're trying to do it as low budget as possible. And that really helps in a startup because you don't have millions of, <laughs> of dollars. So it's, it's similar to college in that way. Um, but that helped is, is understanding kind of the financial aspects that go along with starting a company. Yeah. And even psychology, I learned a little bit about that because it's really understanding you know, how the brain interprets different things and also, you know, the customer psychology, you know, what are they looking for? How, how much can you price your stuff for before people, you know, are going to walk away? And I think a big part of my job is, is pitching. So I had to learn how to give presentations um, to all sorts of different types of people, whether I'm talking to a customer, an investor, which is most of my time, or, or just a doctor as understanding you know, what they want to hear and, and yeah, articulating my point very crisply, very quickly, because um, a lot of these people just don't have time. Yeah, yeah ele- it's just elevator pitch. Yeah, elevator pitch. <laughs> it's it's a real thing. It's just you're constantly working on refining that. I try it out all the time. I'm always still constantly fixing it because you want to make it as clear as possible that every single person can understand. I think that's one of the hardest things is I can go on a tangent talking about the company, but if the hard part is saying it in less than 30 seconds. When you are developing your elevator pitch, are you practicing in front of a mirror? Oh, absolutely. I would <laughs> I would literally like just be walking along the street, like saying saying it um, to myself, making sure that it, because it's it's one of the biggest things is you can practice all you want, but then you start to get robotic. Um, and that's one of the worst things is, is when you're starting a startup, it's all about your passion. And of course, you know, making sure you have the expertise behind that. But what people really connect to is the passion that you bring. And I think that's one of the impor- most important things is, is finding the job that you're most passionate about. And it can be anything. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, and if you're lucky enough to find it, I mean, that's just incredible. So you're the boss. You're the big boss of the company. You're the CEO. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's a typical week like for you? You're talking about how you're always looking for more investors. Uh, before we started having this interview, I saw you checking your email or text constantly. Um, I'm sure it's not a nine to five job. Uh, h- how many hours do you think you put in in a typical week? Oh, gosh. Um, because it's kind of my baby. I would say it's kind of a Monday through Sunday. Anytime I'm awake, I'm working. Um, whether it's something as simple as just shooting an email, thinking about what I need to do, practicing my pitch. Oh, I don't know. I mean, even when I'm not on the job, I'm still on the job. So I don't, I would say like 24 hours, but I mean, that's just kind of unrealistic. <laughs> I do I do take breaks. It's just kind of, it's just kind of seemed into my everyday life whether it's the weekend or the weekday for me there's no real difference i mean on the week weekdays i'm in the office more than the weekends but for me one of the biggest things that i love is is my day looks different every single day whether it's it's flying to meet with hospitals 
or talking to investors or I even still get to do a bit of engineering. So I do the 3D printing or, or assembling or talking to our engineers or talking to, to customers or, or I'm always also looking for a big part of startups is partnerships. So I'm always looking for our, our next partnerships. Who can we work with? Still read papers. So I, I do that on the fly because COVID has kind of gone down a little bit. I'm now able to go on business trips. So I go to the East Coast or I meet with local government. So it's just kind of like, I would say if I had to describe it, it's just meeting new people and talking to them every single day. I think that's the closest kind of schedule that I have. <laughs> totally understandable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you started your company sort of just before the pandemic hit. Um, now it sounds like everyone was able to work remotely yeah. um, nor in, in, under normal times. Mm -hmm. So did the pandemic put a um, put some breaks on some plans that you had and yeah definitely so yeah we started the company in 2018 I think at the end of 2019 uh, we won our second grant with the defense health agency uh, looking back I think that was one of the things that really helped us uh, for for the pandemic or maybe it was 2020 2019 or 2020 we won a grant uh, that really helped but it did you know, we had we were thinking of launching this service um, to help um, the youth sport teams out there have someone medically trained on the sidelines where there wasn't anyone there before. Um, when the pandemic hit, since all sports shut down, um, we had to kind of pivot away from that um, and focus on other things as well. So, yeah, I mean, financially definitely put a strain on us. Um, you know, you're trying to grow your business as fast as possible to make sure it doesn't sink. And so when the whole world is kind of shut down, you have to figure out a way to continue building your company as much as you could. And so what we did is we focused really on building our technology um, and it gave us time to kind of sit back and breathe and think, how can we make this better while we wait? A lot of doctors were really busy so that kind of that world was not something that, um, you know, we had a lot of time to talk to. So it was just figuring out more what the customer wanted. That's what I spent most of my time is, is we have this time where everyone's at home and can talk. So let me talk to as many teacher, uh, teachers, um, athletic trainers, um, any athletic personnel that I can think of to talk to and figure out, you know, what they're looking for and so that when we come out of this pandemic we have a very clear idea of what they want um, because these individuals are like insanely busy when sports are happening so since nothing was happening it gave us that time to do that <laughs> mm. to help make yourself a more effective leader um, is there anything that you've done like taken any courses or read any books that you thought were interesting you, you mentioned how people skills are, are one of the most critical skills you can have in this particular role yeah, I think college really helped me become a better leader. Um, I was very involved on campus, um, so I had those opportunities to lead in a club setting. Um, I led, um, you know, mul multiple events on and off campus um, at a national level and, and also college level. So I think that really gave me a good foundation of, you know, what that type of leader looks like and, and what you have to do. And then I think, 
you know, I was always involved in sports too. And I think that also kind of gave me a good foundation um, because, you know, you're part of a team um, and you have to figure out how to lead in different scenarios. And then, you know, when I started, uh, I also was reading a lot of books on, you know, like the typical how to start a startup. And a lot of that was also talking about how to be a leader um, and what that looks like. And I also started to talk to a lot of CEOs of real companies, (laughs) established companies, and I would ask them a ton of questions too. And so I really got to understand what being a leader looks like. Um, And I think one of the most important things um, someone told me is it's not really about being first and leading the pack. It's about being in the back and listening and guiding everyone to where you all want to go. And I think that's something that stuck with me throughout this whole thing is, is it's very easy to be the one leading the charge. It's much harder to pull yourself back, listen to what everyone's saying, and then with that guide the whole troop from the back. So, so you mentioned that you have talked with uh, other CEOs as well. Based on your experience observing yourself and, and, and observing others who have been in a similar role, what kind of common traits do you see uh, in people who are in your role? Um, you, you mentioned how getting a lot of input from, from your employees and you know, listening to them is important. What other common traits do you see in, in people who start their own companies and lead them? I think one of the biggest things is, is just their passion and excitement that they have for what they do. They're just so passionate about what they do and and you can really feel it when you talk to them that they love what they're doing. And I think that's one of the big things. If if someone can get you excited, that's a good sign of a leader because you immediately want to kind of follow them and be like, I want to help you with what you want to do. I think it's also a big thing that I've seen is is just the confidence. They're very confident um, in, in what they believe they can they can do and how they can impact the world and having that confidence I think just instills I would say a bit of peace and 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 all because you really believe that they can do it um, because of just the way they talk and the way they're passionate and I think the last thing would be they're just incredible listeners they're not the first to talk I would say but they love to listen Um, And they're really good at it where they're really actively participating in the conversation, even though they might not just be talking that much. I think that's one of the biggest things that I can see when they talk with their employees. They kind of exude that excitement and passion into them and also give them a ground where the employee really feels like they're being listened to and their ideas are actually contributing to the grand scheme of things. So they're not just a cog in the machine, so to speak. buy-in in the company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can tell that there's a big, everyone at these companies really believes in what they're doing. And, and I think one of the big things with being CEO is, is making sure that every single person in your company believes in your vision um, and the vision of the company. Because if everyone's so excited and passionate and working towards that, then you can accomplish. You can't accomplish it alone. So you've been very generous with your time today, Isabel. Yeah, of I'm course. I'm sure you, you have 
so many uh, emails. You probably got 10,000 emails <laughs> while we've been talking here for the last 45 minutes. Um, I have one last question for you, though, mm -hmm. and that is, um, you know, there might be some high school students right now listening or college students listening, and, um, you know, they might be thinking about starting their own company. How can they better prepare themselves in high school or college to maybe start their own company? Would you recommend them taking perhaps certain non-engineering courses uh, if, if they go into an engineering program? You've mentioned how being an officer in um, a club, um, ASME, had helped you get experience being a leader. I assume that you'd recommend uh, joining clubs or at least trying to take a leadership in some organizations or clubs. What advice in general would you give for someone who wants to start their own company one day? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely should. If that's something that you're thinking about, I would really advise you to do it because I think the experience you get from it, there's nothing is quite the same as, as doing it. Um, even if you fail, the amount that you've learned is insane and it's always going to help you um, get to your next point in your life. Um, but I would say start learning about, you know, the realm that you want to enter to, um, whether it's, you know, in the food space, in the athletic space, in the medical space, in, in the core engineering space, in the aerospace, whatever it's going to be, start learning about what's out there. Um, because one of the things you want to figure out before you invest your time is, <laughs> has someone already done this? Because <laughs> if you do, then it's a little bit more difficult. And then just get involved. See if you really like the idea of taking um, a leadership role in whether it's something as simple as a club or maybe you just volunteer to be group leader in one of your projects, whatever it may be. See if you really like that because um, it's not for everyone but it could be something that you really love uh, to do. And even if you are, you know, a little bit nervous about stepping into that leadership role, just get involved at a very low level, whether you're just a club member or, you know, and, and that will come with time. Um, the more involved you get, that, that comes. Whether you want it or not, sometimes you're just put in a position where you have the opportunity to get a little bit more involved. And I think yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're in college and there's a class that, you know, you, you've always been interested in kind of the engineering and also um, the food space or maybe law, I would say you have the space to do that with your general electives. Um, so take a class in that. See if you really like it, because if you do, then that's worth kind of mashing, you know, together. And I think just the main point of advice is don't be afraid to kind of create your own industry, so to speak, combine all your passions together, because I've been lucky enough to do that, I've combined my love for sports, medicine, and engineering all into one, um, where I thought I would have to leave the two and just focus on engineering. So I would say, yeah, just combine your passions and don't be afraid to fail. You already have the no, you, you're, the door's already closed, so you might as well try and open it. And you always learn from failure it's never really that you're failing. If you, if you learn from it, then you've never really failed. Um, yeah, I really love that, that phrase you said earlier, nothing's wasted. Yeah, um, exactly. You're gonna learn 10,000 new things as you go along, which might, you know, you work, you, you have a company and let's say after three years, it doesn't go anywhere. Well, you've learned all these new skills, which, well, that might allow you to open a new company or 
or uh, you know, when you go, if you work in industry or something, you might be much more marketable. Exactly. Yeah, I've had I've I've met a lot of people who, you know, their their startup failed. Some of them are doing a new startup from what they've learned before, and others have used that to get you know a position that they've always dreamed of having. Um, so, regardless of if it succeeds or not you've learned so much that you can use that. It's, it's not a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Isabel, and I uh, wish you and Vistendo luck in the future. Thank you so much. I'd like to again thank Isabel for sharing her experiences about what it's like to start and grow a new company. And I hope that you have a better idea of the challenges and potential rewards that await those who want to start their own company. In case you're interested in checking out Vistendo's website, which is just vistendo.com, I've included a link in the show notes. Isabel also allowed me to include her LinkedIn profile in case there are students or potential collaborators who are interested in learning more about her company. I have two quick items before I sign off today. First, I have a short story about Isabel. She was a student in my intermediate thermal fluids course as she was forming her company in fall of 2018. And after recording this interview, I found an old email exchange between us where Isabel was asking if she could be excused from a quiz because she needed to have a meeting with a potential partner. I ended up saying yes, so in some small, very, very minuscule way, I guess I helped facilitate the growth of her company. Right? Well, anyways, the last item before I go that I'd like to mention is that if you're enjoying this podcast, there are a few ways to support it. You can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many others. You can rate the podcast and leave comments on whatever app that you use to listen to the podcast. And finally, you can help spread the word about the podcast by telling your friends and family or anyone else that you think might be interested in this podcast. If you have any comments about the episode, feel free to email me at tesepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll place the email address in the show notes. I will personally read each email and try my best to respond to them all. Well, take care, everyone, and goodbye for now.